now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. See, a United States Astro Robot becomes a creature of death. Oh. And they. We have come here to this planet for. One purpose only, to acquire breeding stuff to repopulate our planet. Welcome to Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. From class to cold, snow to cheese in between, the movies are beep, the entertainment is grade A. And I am your host, Mr. Jason Jack Kennedy, joined by my dad, Mr. Al Jack Kennedy. Good morning, Jay. Today we go back to 1979 for one of the more unique films that uh, we've ever had to review. That's uh, called The Brood. And we'll get to it right after this. from the unknown and they're here now hiding waiting to strike you can feel their presence all around you never before have you come this close to the edge of terror Never before have you faced anything so strange and sinister, so bizarre and unnerving. Never until now. David Cronenberg's The Brood. Are you ready for me, Frank? I seem to be a very special person now. I'm in the middle of a strange adventure. I want to go with you wherever you go. Do you? Yes. Then look! The Brood. You can run. You can hide and hope they won't find you. But you won't escape. Once unleashed, The Brood will destroy anyone who gets in their way. Mm-hmm. 
David Cronenberg's ultimate experience in inner terror. Starring Oliver Reed and Samantha Egar. The Brood. They're waiting for you. The Brood was released May 25th, 1979 with a 92 minute running time. Your director and writer are, of course, David Cronenberg. Uh, this is one of Cronenberg's um, early work that uh, this, Scanners, Rabbit, things like that. These are the movies that people that kind of made Cronenberg a household name, at least among people who uh, would seek out this type of cinema. Um, your producer was uh, Claude Heroux. Uh, your stars here, of course, are Oliver Reed, Samantha Eggert. Those are the two big names. Art Hindle. Um, Henry Backman, Susan Hogan, Cindy Hines. Your music was by Howard Shore. Your production, your production company is Les Productions. Oh my God, that is all in French. Uh, it's a, it's a, Mutez Letty Elgin International Productions. Uh, distributed by New World, I can say that. Um, of course, New World, we all know, um, very influential in doing this stuff, the Roger Corman company. Um, your budget was estimated as 1.5, 1.4 Canadian with a box office of about 5 million. So that's a pretty good return on investment um, for 1979 money. Um, of course, this movie is, um, again, like I said, it's a Cronenberg movie and, and certain Cronenberg movies are known for different things. This one is the movie that Cronenberg wrote and made right after his divorce shocker when you see this movie that you would guess that he did this right after his divorce um with from his wife and then um uh, and they have their um they have a child together never would have guessed it from the film so all right uh the so again oliver reed here uh people might remember him of course i mean some people remember him from his last role which was uh um in gladiator uh but of course he is the he is leon the werewolf from uh curse of the werewolf mm -hmm. the hammer uh werewolf movie all right so, um, yeah, so like I said, so what wound up happening was um, uh, Cronenberg and his uh, his wife, they, they was actually supposed to be pretty acrimonious that they had got divorced. Um, and he intended for the screenplay for this thing to be a meditation on a fractured relationship between a husband and wife who share a child. Um, and then some people felt that his casting of Edgar, uh, uh, Samantha Eggert and, and Hindle were very loose facsimiles of him and his ex-wife. Um, and it definitely incorporated some of that... Uh, science fiction aspect to things. Um, but by the same token though, this movie, if you took out the, the horror kind of aspects of it, this thing is a, like, um, a psychological kind of like, not psychological, but this is like a, a, a psychological study of like people descending into depression and like, you know, loss and all that different stuff. So, um, and again, we said it was released by new, uh, new world pictures. Um, this thing has gone on to, uh, you know, all kinds of levels of uh, cult uh, um, status. It is actually uh, the Chicago Film Association named it the 88th scariest movie of all time. Um, it has a Criterion collection, which is what Dad and I both watched, which is available on Blu-ray and available currently on HBO Max. Um, if you have that, you can see the Criterion, which is super mm -hmm. clean and cont contains the entire movie, um, the full uncut version. Um, and obviously it has gone on to be studied by dealing with mental illness and of course, um, parenthood and uh, fractured families and uh, the um, rage that will often come out of divorce and the fracturing of a family. All right. Super deep stuff for a Bots, Bugs, and Babe episode. Um, for those of you who listened to the last episode where Haley and I talked about Mac and me, we never got quite so deep there. 
Anyway, all right. So our story goes a little something like this. So psychiatrist Hal Ragland runs the Soma Free Institute of Psychoplasmetics, uh, where he encourages patients with mental disturbances to let go of their suppressed emotions through physiological changes to their body in a technique called uh, psychoplasmics. Okay, so this... If you don't know what you're getting into, the beginning of this movie is really weird. Yeah. yeah right. Cause you, cause you're, he's, you're, you're watching like them have like a therapy session on stage and you're like, what are we watching? Right. But once you know that, um, what's going on here and that he's obviously a psychiatrist and he's trying to get these people to manifest, manifest their rage to get it out of them. Um, you start realizing that like, okay, like this is not going to be like every other psychologist movie, whatever kind of thing, this is going to be something a little different. And I mean, if you didn't know who Cronenberg was going in, um, you very quickly realize that this is not going to be, uh, the normal kind of way of, you know, like for um, people trying to deal with emotional issues. Uh, one of his patients is Nola Carveth, um, a severely disturbed woman who is legally embattled with her husband, Frank for custody of their five-year-old daughter, Candace, AKA Candy. When Frank discovers bruises and scratches on Candace following a visit with Nola, he informs Raglan that his intent to stop visitation rights. Wanting to protect his patient, Raglan begins to intensify the sessions with Nola to resolve the issues quickly. During the therapy sessions, he discovers that Nola was psychically, phys sorry, physically, not psychically, that'd be weird, physically and verbally abused by her self-pitying alcoholic mother while neglected by her codependent alcoholic father who refused to protect Nola out of shame and denial. Okay, we'll stop there. Right. So, yeah, that's like to set us up. So go right in. Then, then as we get into the the beginning after after that, the scene with the uh, uh, the psychoanalysis on stage, uh, you then see the grandmother. And one thing that you have to you'll see in this movie, it seems like drinking is is something that's going to happen in just about every scene. the The grandmother's got a a glass of whiskey. Yep. And she's sipping it while she's 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 watching the uh, little candy, and uh, she constantly says, "Well, let me get a refill. You want a refill of yours? You know, which, right? Which, what do you want? You glass of milk?" But uh, it it's it was it was obvious to me that that the 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 <coughs> candy's mother is the reason she's there in in the uh, psychoanalysis uh, um, yeah. place is because of her mother. Yep, and uh, so. You, you, that's the connection right there, and as and then then the then the movie makes a left turn uh, with the so up to, up to this point though, if you think about it, like up to that point yeah, in the movie, right? This literally could have been just like any other number of movies in the seventies and stuff like that, right. where people were dealing with um, you know the drug addiction or alcoholism or abuse or whatever. Like this could have turned into like if it's not Cronenberg, right? This it, movie yeah. could totally be just one of those other types of films in that time. Yeah, and then, and in the seventies there was there was a number of them because they were considered artistic. There was always big time stars in mm -hmm. them, you know, and vying for the Academy Awards. But uh, I think it was it maybe fifteen minutes in. That's when this movie makes a left yeah. turn. So during the what do you call on stage? During the part of, uh, when they're sitting on the stage and he's doing the psycho mm -hmm. uh, the psychoplasmics with uh, Michael, I think that's Michael, the Eric. Yep. He manifests his his uh, his shame and his and his rate, and he starts. He's covered in welts, like as if he was beaten and like and his and, and wounds and stuff. And you're like, that's crazy. But at that point, 
this is when you went four or five minutes in, you're like, well, I don't think this is going to be like, you know, this is not going to be in the Sophie's Choice world. This is going to be much more right. in the scanner's world because that's what Cronenberg would do. You know, again, if you if you when you just start watching it, you don't realize. And again, when you if you watch it again, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that the the bruises start to they're not there when when no, when, there's when nothing when he starts. And then little by little, they 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 start. And then when he takes off his shirt, his whole back looks like yeah. he's just been crucified. So when you look at the scene with the way it's shot, and this is one of the great things that Cronenberg always wants to do, he's gonna he's gonna feed you information, and you think you're seeing one thing, but you aren't seeing something. Right. So you're looking at him, you're like, well, he looks fine, and then they shoot back to Oliver Reed, who's the doctor, and Oliver Reed looks fine. And he goes mm -hmm. back to him, and you're like, well, has he got red on his face? Like he seems to start having some of the blemishes start appearing. Right. They go back to Reed and back to him and back to Reed. And as you're going back and forth, it's not like he goes from zero to 60. It's getting worse and worse, worse and worse. Yeah. And when he finally starts screaming and he rips his shirt open, you're like, oh my God, he's covered in it. But think about that though. In Scanners, right? Which is another Cronenberg movie, right? It seems pretty innocuous. Oh, I'm going to scan you here. And what happens? Michael Ironside blows the guy's head oh. off. You know, and you're like, what? Like, like you... That's probably the craziest first five minutes of any movie ever. Like that happens, you're like, okay. Like I don't even, know, I don't know where this movie's going. And let's be honest, Scanners doesn't really ever go anywhere that deep again until the very, very end of that movie. But that's what Cronenberg wants to do. He sets you up to think you're seeing one thing, and you are seeing something, but you're not always necessarily seeing all of it. Mm -hmm. You would see it later on, like in The Fly, as you're watching uh, Seth Brundle. Mm -hmm turn into the fly like little things are happening you're like man his skin looks bad man he looks horrible yeah but the one thing with the fly is that you don't you're not going into it not knowing no, no, what, no. You, what to right. expect but think about when, when he goes to the bar and he and he eats <clears throat> the candy bar and the guy goes watch out he's he's candy bars and he snaps the guy's wrist and breaks it a lot he's looking worse yes. like you know jeff goldblum looks like jeff goldblum and as he's going you're like man his skin looks bad he looks horrible like he's getting like all the little yeah. marks but it's subtle it's not like you know, you're going from literally Jeff Goldblum to the Brundle Fly. You're going right. as yeah. it's a transition. Yeah. Keeping it subtle allows the 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 viewer to kind of like go along with it because you don't notice it as much. It's not like well, well, I mean, Rabbit's a very different story because Rabbit, like, you don't even see the thing in Marilyn Chase in her armpit. Oh, sorry, spoiler alert: it's a 50 year old movie. Um, the the thing is in her armpit. You can't see it right. until she picks her right. arm up, right? Um, but like. But she never changes. She stays the same, whereas everyone else is becoming, you know, a rage infected, uh, you know, creature, whatever, yeah. whatever. Not, not, they're not zombies. They're just, you know, which is the whole point of rabbit. Um, so, uh, meanwhile, Frank, um, intending to uh, invalidate uh, Raglan's method, questions uh, Jan Hargert, a former Soma Free. Okay, I was going to say for that. They're called the Soma Free Institute. Somas. Are, are muscle relaxers that they used, they would hand out like kind of willy nilly back in the like the best of the 90s and stuff. People got hooked on those things. That's what somas are. Somas were big back mm -hmm. in the day. It's just drugs. So the whole point is it's supposed to be, it's in, in the way they're saying this, soma free. It's a drug free institute, right? That is supposed to be no drugs are happening here. But there's not drugs. He's just making your rage manifest and, you know, um, outside of you. Anyway, sorry. A uh, patient who is dying from. Psychoplasmic induced, induced lymphoma. Uh, Frank leaves Candy with her uh, maternal grandmother, Julia, and the two spend the evening viewing old photographs and, as Dad said, drinking. Mm -hmm. Drinking a lot. Um, 
Julia tells Candace that Nola was frequently hospitalized as a child and had often exhibited strange, unexplained uh, wheels on her skin that the doctors weren't able to diagnose. Um, okay, so we start hearing something smashing through the kitchen. <laughs> now, you can't see what it is at first because you just see things get knocked off. Um, but then Julia goes to investigate, and we don't ever see what it is. We right. see the, the snowsuit. And that's what this movie's kind of known for. The, the imagery of the snowsuits and the whatever, because it looks like a little kid and, and it is a little kid, but I'm saying, but it's the whole point is it's a little kid in a snowsuit is supposed to look like, yeah, I but, mean, but the snowsuit that they're wearing and the snowsuit that candy wears are very, very close to each other, yes. which is, you're supposed to not understand right, what you're seeing. To, I mean, but they, they look, the snowsuits look innocuous. If you ever had to put your little, you know, your son or daughter in, yeah. in a snowsuit, but the, what 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 happens here? And this is why I said it takes that it takes that left turn. The grandmother, again, she's been drinking, but she hears the noise in the kitchen. And what you see is you see the 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 foodstuffs, the appliances, yep. all being dumped on the floor. She moves into the kitchen, and but you don't see anything. And then, <coughs> yeah. And then and then the uh, um, she winds up getting. She gets she gets beaten to death. She gets yeah. beaten to death. Yeah, beaten to death. But the one thing that's 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 important here is that it, the grandmother is killed. And I I might wrote down what's behind door number one. No answer right away. The grandmother gets killed, but the little girl is not afraid. Yeah, she's not afraid. And you would think that, uh, especially when the little girl goes into the kitchen and sees the mess and the grandmother with all the blood on, she's not afraid. So I think some of that has to do with, I think what that's speaking to, uh, at least, you know, when I, my interpretation of it is that, um, cause even when we, we, when, like when, uh, her dad's taking the pictures of like the bruises to show the lawyer and whatever, like, she's like, I don't know how it got there. I don't know. Like she's this, this, she seems completely traumatized. Like, even though if she might not be, she appears to be literally traumatized. She looks like it, like, like she's been through like a lot of stuff, even though we never are told that. It does appear that that's what it is. And so this is just another thing in her life. And what happens? They find her asleep in bed. Because they go up there. She's all right. So they, you know, they take her up. They right. put her in bed. It's no big deal because the rage is not aimed at her. Candy is not the focus of the rage yet. It's right. the mother. And at this point, you still don't know. Yeah. You what don't know. The, what the, what the, uh, the evil is. Yeah. So um, uh, Julia's ex-husband, Barton, returns for, uh, for the funeral and attempts to contact Nola at the Soma Free Institute. But Raglan turns him away. Frank invites Candace teacher, Ruth Mayer, uh, home for dinner to discuss his daughter's performance in school. Um, Barton inter uh, interprets, uh, interrupts with a drunken phone call from Julia's home, demanding that Frank and he go to the Soma Free Institute to see Nola. Frank leaves uh, to calm Barton, leaving Candace in Ruth's care. While he's away, Ruth answers the phone, and, uh, which got the call from Nola, who recognizes her voice and believing uh, her to be having a affair with Frank, insults her and angrily warns Ruth to stay away from her family. Meanwhile, Frank arrives to find Barton murdered by the same deformed childlike dwarf who dies after attempting to kill Frank. So this now, okay, so they search the house and they can't find anything. And the, what the detective says afterwards, we didn't know to look for something that small. They're looking for an, they're looking for a grown adult to have to killed her. Right. right. But when they go in the kitchen and uh, you can see there are little feet prints in mm, the blood the and everything blood. else. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that, uh, um, what's his name? Um, oh, I forgot his name. The guy who did child's play 
took some of that because in child's play, there's little sneaker prints in the stuff. And that's why they think, uh, you know, they think uh, that, that the kid is killing people, not Chucky, right? Because you say, it's Chucky's right. doing it, right? Right. But that is a disturbing thing because if you have a, a grown adult footprint in blood or whatever, okay, well, the, the adult, the little kid footprints in there, that's really disturbing. And in the 1970s, we didn't have, I mean, this is post um, um, The Omen. This is post uh, The Exorcist. But remember, The Omen and The Exorcist were not the, they were not the the norm. They were the exception to the rule. Maybe like you go back to like the bad seed. What was that? Like in the fifties, right? Remember the, the, like the old black and white movie. Yeah. yeah you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But like that, I'm, I'm trying to think of other killer kid movies from back then. There weren't many of no. them, you know? No, there were, there were, I can't, I, I couldn't think of one. The thing here is though, that in today's parlance, if you, if you see little footprints, you would, and again, this may, this is, this is, it might not just be a child. It could also be, um, you know, a, a, a little people, the, the, the a midget. Right. Well, and, yeah. you know, because, because they, yeah. Whenever you see that they, they wear children's clothes, they have, they, well, they, no, they wear small know, clothes, small but clothes, yeah, not children's clothes, but, but yeah, I know what you mean. Flies, yeah. you know, size wise. But the, when the, when the grandfather goes back, Okay, but the, the thing is, what I'm saying is, there they they would never have thought that it right. was a, a dwarf or a little no. person who killed them. They thought it was her feet, feet print footprints in there, yeah. And they didn't think anything of it because she was in the she was in the kitchen and then went upstairs. Right. But that's what they're saying. They don't have any they don't have any reason to suspect suspect her for attacking her grandmother. She has no blood on her. Right. There's no nothing. Then there's no way she would have gotten all the blood off. No. As so. a matter of fact, that's what they say. She's completely clean. clean. Yeah. She's completely clean. And that, but when the grandfather goes back, the this is when you you first see the 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 young the young child, and because it it comes from underneath the bed while the grandfather's in there reminiscing yeah. and 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 crying Drinking, yeah. and what yeah. have you, and the thing is you you have to notice that Candy looks like a little girl would look like at six years old, the thing which is a child that comes out from underneath the bed has. Literally a, a slightly deformed face. Yeah. Almost to the almost what we what it reminded me of is the beauty in the eye of the beholder yep. twilight zone. Yep. Because they're they're lumpy parts. Yeah. And but again, it, it happened so quickly. And again, then and But you but you haven't seen it to that point. No. All you saw was that it was a blonde haired child yeah. that you thought was a child, but this is now this killer right. dwarf kind of right. thing that's coming out and attacking him. But once you see the face, you know immediately this is not a child. This is, and if it is a child, this is a child who's severely deformed, and or or something else is more wrong here than that. Right. Yeah. And the, and and the police, the they, they the, the child is actually, uh, cat. I don't say captured. Right. It's it's. Well, no, it dies. It dies. So it tries to kill Frank in the bathroom, and then just keels over. And so they, they so the police do an autopsy of the the dwarf reveals a multitude of bizarre anatomical anomalies. The creature is asexual, supposedly colorblind, naturally toothless, and devoid of a navel, in, uh, in, in, you know, indicating no by uh, no known means of natural childbirth. Um, they also um, find that there's inside of it there's a uh, like a, like not a not a hump but like a, a, a sack that had mm -hmm. like whatever was in it that it was building up, and once it ran out, it just killed right. over. It just like a battery ran out. Um, after the murder story reaches the newspaper, Raglan reluctantly acknowledges that the deaths coincide with his sessions with Nola relating to the uh, their respective yeah. topics. 
He closes the Soma Free Institute and sends his patients to municipal care. With the exception of Nola, Frank is alerted about the closure of the Institute by Hartog. And at this point, I, I said to myself, I'm watching this thing, and he, and he closes it up. I said, so Raglan is the husband. But he's not, not the husband. No, but in a way he is because of, of his methods. In crea- are creating, creating him, yes. Creating. So that's what this is about. Like So, so the whole movie is about... <laughs> Family and the loss of family and the like, and like you know. So here's Nola accusing the teacher of having uh, an affair with her husband, even though her and her husband are completely estranged. <clears throat> in the process of either getting divorced or trying to prove her mentally incompetent, so he can have uh, uh, full custody of the daughter. Right? She's accusing that, but yet at the same time that she's accusing her of uh, the teacher of having the relation with her husband, she is in the process of having a a different type of relationship with, with, uh, uh, Raglan, Raglan, who is now producing these children of rage. Right. Right. Which with, so without any actual sexual contact, he's producing these, he's producing offspring, yes. like, but it's all rage induced offspring. And that's what, that's where I'm saying this movie is again, the rage, the idea of the rage and the whatever, like, so let's say, let's say this movie, you took it like more literally and like Nola killed people. Because she's acting out her rage. Right. She kills somebody. Okay. That now fits in with how many other movies about, you know, uh, this loss and whatever. That fits in more normal society. Because someone could snap and kill killing people. That she's now able to birth these, these uh, creatures that aren't quite human, but aren't quite not, you know, they're just like these, these they're just creatures, what they are. Um, that she's birthing them from her anger and rage. And then each one of them whoever she you know in her mind tells them to attack that's who they rage at that's the whole point so uh where are we are so uh mike trellin one of the patients forced to leave the institute tells frank that nola is now raglan's queen bee and in charge of some disturbed children in the attic when candace returns to school two dwarf children attack and kill ruth in front of her class before absconding with uh candy to the soma free institute with frank in pursuit okay so the scene where the teacher gets killed that was controversial at the time because you got it's just little kids in the room. Those are real Ooh, little kids. kids. Now they're actors. They know we're acting. They're pretending. But nowadays, people would lose their minds. You can't have a child see something like this. Uh, they're not really. I mean, like, I mean, they're they're playing around. Like that's it's it's all pretend. But people didn't worry about that stuff back in the day because it made, it made the movie weird. But um, yeah, I mean, the, uh, just, that scene there was. Uh, the look on, on if you, but if you do look at the, again, you have to stop it sometimes and look at the the, the the expressions on the children's faces, the little ones. Now, I don't know how many five and six year olds are really thespian, uh, right? But their their look of fear is palpable, and the the attack on the attack. Now, the attack is very similar to the attack on. Uh, you know they they, yeah. they bash and yeah yeah they, yeah now this is the this is one of the one of the things I said they when they did the autopsy they said that these 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 things and they're, they're called dwarf killers yeah by the police have no teeth so there are a lot of bite marks on the on the, on the victims so if they don't have any teeth that was one of the little bit of an inconsistency you you can't make the statement that say they have no teeth. And then show a body with bite marks all over the place. 
that that was one of the things I think that they they from a continuity point of view they made a mistake. Yeah. Um, and, right, yeah. and then there's one other one which we might as well get into now. Mm-hmm. The school is nowhere near the institute. Yep. And yet the, they're walking down the road. Walking right. down the road, and it, <laughs> and it's obvious that it's miles away. Yeah. And it's snowing. Yep. And and there's one old jalopy car got going by them and don't even stop and say, you know. Do you know where you're going? And right. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So that's the, that. That's to me has always been. But I think what they were they were going for, and this is exactly what the scene is, is that they both they they're she's in the middle, and they're both holding on to her, taking her there. Yeah. Right. That's what you're supposed to get. You're supposed to get the isolation, you're right. supposed to get the desolation, and whatever kind of thing. I get that, but um, and I think sometimes you artistically have to film things a certain way, even though. The reality is, well, wait, they walked so many miles to get there. Like, like they're doing this, like they're a little kid. Like I get that. But again, we were willing to buy everything up to this point. That's gotta be, you got to, for the shot, for the scene of them walking. Right. Yeah. That's where you have to, it looks like three little kids walking home from school. Home from school. And they're all dressed in in In, different color snowsuits. Yes. They all look exactly the same. Yeah. Um, Upon arrival at the Institute, Raglan tells Frank the truth about the the, the dwarf children, that they are uh, accidental products of Nola's psychoplasmic sessions. Her rage about her abuse was so strong that she uh, parenthogenologically bore a brood of creatures resembling children who psychologically respond and act to on the targets of her rage, with Nola completely unaware of their actions. Realizing the brood was too dangerous to keep any anymore, Raglan plans to venture into the quarters and rescue Candace, be, uh, provided that Frank can keep Nola calm to avoid provoking the children. Um, and then we have the part, now we have the part where, um, so obviously Raglan's upstairs trying to get Candace out. And then all the kids are in the, they're in these bunks. It's just, it's, 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 it's the scene that most people remember from this movie is when, obviously when they bash through the door and they're grabbing her and they're trying to pull her through the, the door. Um, Frank attempts to feign reproach with um, with uh, long enough for Raglan to collect Candace, but when um, he witnesses Nola give birth to another child through a psychoplasmatic-induced external womb, she, uh, she notices his disgust when she licks the child clean. The brood awakens and kills Raglan. Nola then threatens to kill Candace rather than lose her. The brood goes after Candace, which is what we're talking about, who's hiding in the closet, and that's when they smash through the door and they're grabbing her. But they begin to break through the door and try to grab. In desperation, Frank strangles Nola to death. The brood dies without their mother's psychic connection. Frank carries the visually traumatized Candace back to his car, and the two uh, depart. As uh, they part in silence, two small lesions, uh, um, the germinal stage of the uh, phenomenon that uh, experienced by Nola, appear on Candace's arm, and that's how the movie ends. Right, and that and that scene right there, it it took me. It took me back to. Isle of Lost Souls with uh, Loda, the, the panther woman, who was not perfect. And right. it's obvious that as perfect as Candy is visually, she's going to turn into one, of, into, into one of them. Because it's and well, not was, into one of them. She's gonna, well, she has the same, she has same problems her mother has, where she causes well, her yeah. rage and her, her, her terror cause the lesions to form on her. Right. So she has the same... Uh, underlying ability that her mother probably has that if she was to push that rage hard enough, she could create her own. Yeah. Uh, psychotic, you know, like, so the, the, this movie was cut. Um, we mentioned that, you know, the, uh, the censorship here, the cuts demanded for an R rating were, um, in the U S uh, 
Uh, Edgar conceived the idea of licking the new fetus that her character Nola has spawned. Um, she said, it's just like uh, when cats have kittens or dogs have puppies. Um, they lick them as soon as they're born. Uh, that was too much for the U.S. censors. They said, that's got to go. Um, when the climactic scene was censored, Cronenberg responded, I had uh, a long, loving close-up of Samantha, Samantha licking the fetus. When the censors uh, those uh, cut it, the result was that a lot of people thought she was eating her baby, <laughs> which might be worse. And I'm thinking to myself going, I've only seen the cut version once. And I thought she was kind of eating it at first, too. Yeah. But then when I saw the uncut version, I'm like, oh, that makes way more sense. Right. That's exactly the way I would, because yeah. I've seen the movie three times. Yeah. The first time I saw it was the cut version. Yep. The second time was was the was the uncut one, and then uh, that was a few years ago, and then I watched it again for this podcast. Yeah. So um, the 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 um, reviews on this movie are kind of mixed, um, averaging a seven point four out of ten on IMDb, eighty one percent positive on other things, um, but yeah, people like Roger Ebert called it a bomb. Um, uh, you know, Leonard Malton did found it unpleasant, and you know, uh, Ebert also said it was disgusting and boring. Uh, you know, it's it's hard because some people, no matter what you do, won't like whatever it is. Um, the blood and gore in this movie is not nearly at a level of some no. other movies. I'm saying it's just no, it's, a, it's mostly it's mostly makeup. Yeah, but, but I'm saying, but the but the, the not, blood and gore in this is not like extreme. It's not like you're no. saying like this is a blood and gore kind of thing. No, but people find it disgusting because of some of the things that are happening. But at the same time, if let's, let's take this, the, the supernatural element out of it. If she was just killing people and she was nuts, they would say, Oh, what an amazing act. It was so great. The, 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 there's not like there, it's not, it's not, again, at no point does anyone's head explode. No one's no. gutted. No, there's not, there's not a lot of blood and guts and gore everywhere. Yeah. So it's not like you can say, I didn't like it because it was too much of that. People just found it off-putting because, and I honestly believe this, is that it touches on things that people don't want to talk about. It touches on abuse. It touches on neglect. It touches on the destruction of family. It touches on divorce. It touches on loss, on rage. Like, these are things that people don't like to talk about. People want to see... Uh, they want to see, oh no, the oil derrick's on fire. We need to save them because that's okay. Or oh, like or even even a monster movie. They want a monster that they can. That's the other. The other. The problem is, think about then. And Carpenter talks about this in the thing, right? There's the other. The out there is the other. But what happens in the thing, right? The other becomes mm. us. us. Yeah. yeah, it's inside. Why is the thing? Why did the, the thing was a, a bomb? I mean, people hated the thing when it came out. And it became a cult movie and now is regarded as a classic because people then said, wait a minute, I get it. The other is out there, right? Carpenter's movie, the other is out there. Michael Myers is out there, right? You know, it's out there, right? It's out there. But now we're talking about the stuff inside. When movies start bringing the, the, the creature to be in you, it's you who are the monster. It's you who control that thing. People don't like that because it's uncomfortable because you don't want to be the bad guy. You want someone else to be the bad guy. This is literally, this has been, you can go back to like the first movies ever made and it's always the other and we're, well, we're this and that's mm -hmm. the other, right? And if you think about that, the movies that hit harder and really push people's buttons, even like a movie like, like Psycho, right? Because uh, not the Hitchcock explode this often, but Psycho does it who's the like norman bates is insane and people are like well how you can't be insane. well he is yes. like i mean like is this is not a this isn't normal 
Like, he's insane, but he's still the other. But what happens is some people see, here's someone who loves his mother and was whatever, and they some people started seeing themselves in there. I think this is why, yeah. when we yeah. remember when we covered Targets? Yeah. And I said, this is a movie people haven't seen, but in Targets... That there's that guy seems like a normal, clean cut American, you know, like whatever. And then he goes nuts and starts killing people, and you're like, oh crap, that could actually happen because it did, yeah, and it probably does. Well, no, it did. Remember, it's based yeah. on a true story, right? But that's what they're saying. But there was no supernatural element there. Now they can say, oh well, I didn't like it because there's no way this could happen. It's too fake. Like just because you you want to put something, you, you're wow. using using the science fiction of this to dispel it. Well, you think you have to, you have to, you know, suspend your belief uh, of what of what is what is legitimately right, right, uh, yeah. uh, uh, capable of doing it. Now, the thing when when again at this point, this movie, you knew it wasn't going to be uh, reviewed by the New York Times and by Siskel and Ebert to any any great lengths, simply because, and for just a very obvious reason, Cronenberg had a body of work that took exploding heads and when you well, see no no so it's, but, this is early this so, is 79 yeah but that but that was but that had happened scanners had happened i thought Sanders was 80 oh look well so the it's thing right. is but again all of cronenberg's previous work was was from a guy like especially ebert and and or and i don't know if it's siskel what he wrote but if they if they have this preconceived notion that they're not going to like a, a movie because of what his contents usually are uh that would give it the uh, the bad reviews but when you when you see that it got 80 percent you know positive from the people who went to see it that's what the movies were yeah. made for yeah well that's the whole thing is that um i mean nobody gives nobody gives a, a damn about critics anymore yeah so for example okay so he did um there was crimes of the future 70 then shivers of 75 yeah. Okay. And then Rabid was his first major success. That was '77. Fast Company and the Brood were '70 uh, or '79. The sc Scanners and Video Drone Scanners was not till '81. Okay, so, right? but, so but, but Scanners is Scanners is the end of that first realm. And then he made Video Drone, The Dead Zone, The Fly, right. Dead Ringers, Naked Lunch. That's when all of a sudden Cronenberg became the next level of director. He was put on a pedestal. I'm just saying, people, we we hadn't seen Scanners yet. We hadn't seen. Right. That's why I think that's why Scanners has to open the way it does. It has to open with the exploding head. It has to open with that thing because he pushed the envelope and pushed the envelope for body horror. Now, he was the body horror guy. He still is the body horror guy, right? By pushing that envelope as a body horror, it made people uncomfortable because people were not always comfortable with their bodies. They're not comfortable with the way he was depicting them. I mean, Shivers is that that's in the hotel where they're all yeah. pet. Yeah. But how do they pass it? They pass it by mouth to mouth. Oh. They guess passing it on. Marilyn Chambers, a porn star, is the star of Rabbit, and she's amazing in that movie, but it's the the vagina under her arm with the the thing that comes out. Mm -hmm. She's a vampire. Like that's all she really mm -hmm. is. And you're like, what? Like this is the weirdest thing mm -hmm. ever because she doesn't bite you. She's having sex with you, and then she jams you right. with the so thing that, and kills so that's you. What I mean, the content of the movies. If you've seen some of his work before this moon came out, you had a preconceived notion yeah. as to what the hell is going to happen here. Yeah. And when when it happens the way you thought it was going to happen, yeah. you're going to say that's garbage. Yeah. Well, again, it's, and it, it, it turns out it, it turns out it, it, it certainly isn't because it's it, Criterion isn't about to go and 
and spend all that money to to bring it out well, if, if they didn't think it was it there's was, they it make was, they put movies out for a reason and some people always complain that oh they you know they did fiend without a face which is actually a really good movie but yeah. because people just think it's silly because it's a brain and they did equinox but that's because that's landis's first movie mm -hmm. but like to do these things and criterion has their godzilla set which is phenomenal you know cleaned them all up and did all this stuff with them um for them to do this it's because the movie has to have significance yeah and that's the thing is significance does not mean that it's for everyone Right. Um, we've talked about that before. There's plenty of movies that people think are, you know, phenomenal films that I find, you know, boring and whatever, and it's fine. And I don't need to watch them. But by the same token, there are movies that people will automatically write off and not even give two seconds of time to. And you're like, if you actually sat down and watched it or actually like, you know, took time to understand what's going on, there's so much more there. This movie has a lot of text right at the top but it has a lot of subtext underneath and it's, and it's not subtle all the time. It's there. You can see it, but that's part of the issue with the, the late seventies into early eighties. Think about what came out right after this. I mean, obviously scanners and stuff, but a couple about a year later, maniac comes out and people didn't know what to do. My maniac is people felt it was pornographic. And I'm like, mm, Will Lusting made it. That guy made real pornos. This ain't a porno, but they couldn't handle. Yeah. Now, you know, a guy getting his head blown clean off. They couldn't handle like this guy's really going to like rape and murder all these women. Yeah. Like that happens. That if you said to me, I don't like maniac. It feels too real. It, I mean, again, there are some scenes where you're like, okay, they could have punched up the effects a little bit, but some of those effects are just still disgusting at this, even at this level. Yeah, I get it. And it's not Dawn of the dead. It's not zombies, zombies. and whatever, where it's just like, okay, yeah. right. You, Cronenberg does a really good job, even in his most, um, you know, kind of like, you know, sci-fi horror ones of kind of walking a line of reality and keeping it kind of there. And then you kind of veer off. The Fly is the perfect example. The first half of The Fly, like when, before he, you know, turns into, starts turning into, what are we watching? Yeah. Right. That's a, that's a drama that that's, a, that's a movie where all of a sudden Seth Brundle's married and then Gina Davis and him are having an affair. That turns into fatal attraction. What fatal attraction, which everyone loved, but what's fatal attraction? You know, that's a movie about a guy cheating on his wife and then the woman can't yeah. handle it. And she goes to kill him. That happens. Now the difference is at no point does Glenn close. I mean, she boils the rabbit, but she at no point does she turn into a fly or a fly rabbit, right. which would have been uh, a crazy different movie. Um, but you know what I'm saying? So, but I think this movie is one that a lot of people maybe have either never seen or kind of have seen bits and pieces, but never spent the time. This yeah. is a great movie that if you want to go and watch it, and I think the, again, I know some people swear up and down that, you know, physical media is dead, but there's a number of us who don't think so because it always works. And when they jack your prices up on every one of your things, I can always pop a Blu-ray in that I own and watch as many times as I want. It's on HBO Max in the Criterion. Yeah. There's a lot of criterions on there, in fact. And in fact, if you've never seen some of those criterions, you it's like watching the movie sometimes for the first time again because it's just, holy cow, it's clean. Oh my God, it's restored. Oh my God, it's all that stuff. This is a good if, situation. If you've never seen this, I, and it should still be on HBO Max as they have the criterion um, license, HBO does, um, it's worth your time going to watch. Now, is it for everyone? Certainly not. No. Now, you said mom sat and watched it with you. Yeah. Right? And this is certainly not normal. Mom would enjoy blood and guts and gore. No, but, but there's it, not it, a lot of blood and guts and gore in no, here. No, it. We, we, I mean, there, there's just as much killing up until the, the 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 final scene as you would watch on a Law and Order. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. And and the thing is, except for the fact that like we know that there there these little dwarf killers are like supernatural in some way. Right. right? 
very well could have been a Law and Order episode. They very well could have been, uh, you know, what's the one like where they tie them all together, like the Chicago Fire, Fire Chicago, whatever. Great. They have all the Chicago shows. When they do an extended episode where there's a killer and this and this and this, and then he's an arsonist, that sounds like this movie, right? You know, so and, um, and what what Mom did was, I mean, she had no idea what it was. I said, I said, you can. She wanted to sit down and watch it because I put it on during the middle of the day. Yeah, and I said. I said, I don't know if you're going to like this. I said, it's the one that the Jay and I are going to do the podcast on. So we started watching it, and she said, the story's pretty good. She understood yeah. that they that they were not. She said, they don't look like real right. children. Yeah. I said, just keep watching. Yeah. But obviously, when when Samantha Egger, uh, you know, licks the fetus, oh, that's at the end. I mean, yeah. that I mean, that that's a little over the top for your mother. Right. But she sat through it, and she said, boy, that was that was one hell of a movie. Yeah. I mean, so. Even someone who is not doesn't have the the desire to watch these blood and guts movies yeah. like Saw or yeah, or, okay. And yet when she watches them, she says that was pretty good. I, I, I she also watched one movie we haven't done, Spiral, which is that's oh, yeah. basically well, we, that's like Saw Nine. Yeah, but. I'm saying that there's there's eight movies before it we had to cover first. Right. Yeah. Oh no no no. But yeah. But right. no. But she has never seen any of the other ones. No. She might have seen saw the first one, which is which is really that is a fabulous movie. But you know the thing is though, just a second. The original Saw has some blood and guts in it. Yeah, no. But not much. That no. movie's more psychological thriller. Right. And and, and, the, then, and then two, three, four. Everything is ramped up, and Spiral kind of goes back. Yes. Because Spiral is more about the story, because you have because because again we don't know all those people, we have to learn who they are. Right. So you can't. Now there are some disgusting things happening in that film, yeah, well, but you have to tell the story again. We don't know who these people are yet, so I can't just jump into like let's you know eviscerate everybody. You know? Yeah, I mean, so but your mother, your mother expects when when I'm when we're watching, she expects to see some horrible scenes of of maim and and yeah. and, and and happenstance. But when the movie was over, she said, boy, that was really well made. And I said, yeah. I said, that's most of these movies are. Now, so, yeah. She, yeah. The, sometimes you get movies that are just like, wow, how did that get made? Right. Right. Kind of thing. But, you know, but anyway, but that's not that's not Cronenberg. Cronenberg kind of thing. Right. His movies are always well made. In fact, for those who, you know, are thinking like, I, I've, I've heard of Cronenberg and make me, you know, maybe you've only heard of heard of Videodrome. If you've never seen Videodrome, that. That's some strong, that pushes you a little bit. And, and video, isn't that funny? Videodrome was made in 1983 and it pushed the envelope so far. And now you watch Videodrome and you're like, man, why is this still on point? The cancer gun at the end, again, it's a 40 year old movie, 50 year old movie. The cancer gun he shoots him with at the end, you're still like, mm, my God, like Cronenberg did things and you're like, why? Why yeah. is he able to do those things then that hit? I mean, they hit hard. Videodrome made a lot of people upset. People got disgusted. I mean, that movie's weird at times, and it's harsh. And and if you don't like S and M, and you don't like the yeah. idea of the exploiting of sexuality and stuff, but he pushed that envelope because what did he make after it? He made The Fly, and The Fly. There's no sexuality in The Fly. I don't I mean he has sex with him, but like, but there's not like it's not about no. sex. That's about body change and like the loss of self and like. It literally takes the fly from, with Vincent Price, you know, back in the day, and it takes that concept and just okay, let's turn that to eleven. 
But it's isn't it funny though? Like this guy can make those movies, and he also made Eastern Promises, which is a gangster movie, movie with Vito right. Marino Morrison. Yeah. Crimes of uh, the Crimes of the Future, the new one that just came out. That's that movie's nuts too. He made um, what's the other one? There's there's part of that trilogy. I'm trying to remember what the other one is with Crimes of the Future and um, um, oh, A Dangerous Mind. Uh, I'm not a, a Dangerous Method, not a Dangerous Mind. A Dangerous Method, like those are gangster movies, and you're like, what? Cronenberg, yeah. but when you watch them, they are psychological. Yeah. Everything he does is psychological. So if you've never seen this, it's worth your time. I would suggest, honestly, if you've never seen Rabid, that is well worth watching as well. This is a very different movie. Rabid's really good. That's the yeah. that's what Marin Chambers the Vampire. If you've never seen Scanners, um, you've probably seen the beginning of Scanners. Scanners, I can honestly say, out of all of Cronenberg's movies, has probably the most memorable scene of any one of them probably the most boring middle ever and then a really cool ending right to me because people always say oh, i love scanners it's my favorite one i'm like if you love scanners that means you really have never watched videodrome you've never watched the brood i like the brood better than scanners i think this has a better story than scanners um scanners just is known for literally i mean you can't blow a guy's head up five minutes right. into a movie and not remember it you know um but i think cronenberg when you look at his body of work and you understand the body horror and what he put out there he's so different He's so pushing that envelope. And eventually it led to guys like Clive Barker pushing the envelope. Hellraiser, you know, the Hellraiser mm -hmm. movies, Nightbreed. We don't get that without Cronenberg kind of like opening the door in the late 70s, allowing Clive Barker. Because yeah. let's face it, I mean, Hellraiser. Hellraiser is one of the one of the most tough, toughest movies to watch it. ever. Yeah. We did, we just covered it on the vault uh, back, oh. you know, in 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 um, like October, and uh, watching it again. I mean, hey, look, can I watch them? I'm like, nope, mm. nope, you can't watch Hellraiser. She goes, why not? I go, you don't want to see this. And when you watch Hellraiser, you, you, and there's so much. Hellraiser is Clive Barker. I mean, like it literally is just like Clive Barker, like his like his craziness on the screen. But when you watch that, you're like, man, there's so much Cronenberg in it. But Cronenberg is friends with Barker. I mean, Cronenberg's the killer in uh, Nightbreed. Nightbreed. He's yeah. Buttonface, which is a whole movie by itself, which would have been really cool. So think about that. Nightbreed, Supernatural, right? The, like the whole idea of Cabal, like the, the full cut of Nightbreed. That movie's all about these creatures that live under the ground. It's mm -hmm. all great. And yet there's a serial killer played by the doctor, right? Who is uh, uh, Cronenberg. And you're like, I want to see that movie too. Because... Cronenberg as the killer is really cool because this guy is a psychological kind of guy and he he looks like he could be a doctor like he doesn't he he kind of you know the white hair and glasses he doesn't look like it. everyone see when people see Rob Zombie they're like oh yeah that guy like look at him right you look at Cronenberg you're like was it someone granddad right yeah, yeah. it's like oh what are you you're picking the kids up for like you know basketball yeah. like it's not like Rob Zombie's showing up and you're like wow this guy looks like like a hillbilly you know like crazy psychopath you know, so anyway. Um, all right, folks. So that about wraps it up for us. Um, we got, again, we're kicking off 2024. We have got um, a whole lot of anniversary movies this year. Um, we kind of made dad and I are making sure that we're going to hit a number of different films. Um, again, not there, there, there will be a few more horror movies in this year because they are in their anniversary year. Yes. And there's some movies that my dad has never seen that are now 45 years mm -hmm. old. I have a hard time, or like 35 years old. God, it's hard to believe some of the movies are that old um, that I think he needs to see. Um, and again, um, you know, we'll do our usual stuff and we're going to have whatever. And of course, did you, 
Did you see the the brood in the theater? I mean, and again, you know, back in the early seventies, do you remember it? Do you have memories of this thing? Is there something, you know, we would love to hear from you right in. Let us know. Um, of course, we'll always feature you on our feedback episode. Um, you know, kind of thing. We, we love to hear from you guys. Um, and again, like I said, dad and I, we have a number of very, it's a different kind of thing. We try to not do the same thing over and over again, right? right? You know, we try not to do horror, 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 right? kind of thing. But there are a couple this year where there's a little bit of horror. There's definitely some comedies in here and stuff like that as well. And um, some classics too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, things that are 70 years old. I mean, you know, a 70 year old movie that still to this day actually holds up. You know, that's always yeah. great. When a movie is 70 years old, a black and white movie can hold up and you look at the effects and you're like, wow, that looks so good. So, all right, folks. So that about does it for us. Um, I want to thank everyone for the listens now. I hope everyone had um, a good end of 2023. Hope everyone has a great 2024. So like we say around here, folks, keep those cards and letters coming and keep watching the skies. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which up until a few days ago was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at Two True Freaks. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. This has been an episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. If you'd like to contact me, please email the show at bots.com bugsbabes at gmail.com If you'd like to find me online, I'm on Facebook under my name, Jason Jacknetti. I often contribute to the Two True Freaks Facebook group. You can visit my Facebook page, The Art of Horror Collective, and you can search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective. On Instagram, find me under my name, Jason Jacknetti, and search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective, as well as the new hashtag, Bots, Bugs, Babes Podcast. I'm the only one using them. I'm also on Twitter at Jason Giaconetti, and you can visit my webpage at www.theartofhorrorcollective.wordpress.com. All movies, characters, stories, music, etc. are properties of their respective holders. This is a fan work, and any use of any property is purely for review, discussion, entertainment. So don't sue me. I ain't got anything anyway. There is no tomorrow! There is no tomorrow! There is no tomorrow! Will you stop?